Psalm 37 is our text this morning, and I would encourage you to turn there if you have a Bible with you. Rabbi Harold Kushner watched his son die of progeria, uh, early aging uh, disorder, and uh, coined the phrase, why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? That's a good question. But there's another uh, equally vexing question, and that is, why do good things keep happening to bad people? Uh, there are some people that seem to get away with murder. They uh, make their way through their entire lives, fat, dumb, and happy, and they never pay any consequences for their evil. Whereas we can't seem to get away with anything. Uh, Terrible, disastrous, uh, frustrating, embarrassing, costly things keep happening to us, and we keep wondering why. Now, this uh, this psalm doesn't really deal with the question, why. Uh, It rather answers the question, what? Given the fact that uh, that bad things keep happening to people who want to do what's right, what should we do? That's the question. What what should our response be to the inequities of of life? That's the issue that David is concerned with in this psalm. Now, it's a lengthy psalm. I'm just going to read the first 11 verses and uh, center our thoughts on just uh, those opening uh, parts of uh, of the text. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. He will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Uh, I've uh, displaced this psalm chronologically. Uh, I've placed it with... David's other fugitive psalms, those uh, poems that he wrote while he and Saul were playing their deadly cat and mouse uh, game in the desert. The, uh, the psalm in thought belongs to this period, but it actually was written much later. Uh, these are the thoughts of an old soul. David says uh, later in the, in the psalm, verse 25, I've been young and now I'm old. And the word that he uses for old means just that, elderly. So uh, this is the uh, this is wisdom that's been tempered by by time. 
years of hard experience had given David deep insight and integrity and balance, which uh, you see in this, uh, this psalm. He's looking back on his experiences in the wilderness and reflecting on them. Only a, an old soul knows how to work her or his way through the complexities of, of life and simplify them. Only an old soul knows that uh, very few things are necessary, actually uh, only one, as we shall see. Uh, the psalm is uh, acrostic in form. It's an alphabetical psalm. I've mentioned before this uh, particular genre where they what David does is open every other line with a different letter of the Greek of the Hebrew alphabet, beginning with the Hebrew A, and then in verse three, the Hebrew B. He places two two verses under each uh, each letter. And I've mentioned before these are A B C Psalms. These are the the basics, the the fundamental stuff of life. Uh, these are the essential. Elements, the things that uh, ought to govern our thinking as we uh, as we uh, brood over uh, the inequities of of life. They uh, this is a primer to help us deal with setbacks and get us up and get us going again when life uh, runs against us. Uh, David tells us what what works when life doesn't. Now he begins with two negative uh, commands. And he says, first of all, don't fret. Don't fret. That word is repeated in the first 11 verses of this, uh, of this psalm three times. Fret not yourself because of evildoers in verse 1. Verse 7, fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his way. Verse 8, fret not yourself. It leads only to, to evil doing. Now, fret in English means worry. But the word that uh, David uses here it literally means to get hot. Get heated up to get hot under the collar. That's the idea. Get steamed, we say. Incensed. All those English words come from that idea of uh, getting getting hot. It's what injustice does to us. Makes us mad. Makes us angry. Bugs us. It's hard to tolerate. Makes us furious. Uh, we get much more angry about injustice that's uh, perpetrated on us even than on others. We don't like it when people... Uh, misunderstand our intentions when they misrepresent us, when they drag our names through the mud, when we give an honest day's labor and we're not appreciated. And others, uh, they, you know, they pillage and leave ruin behind. They live for themselves. They cut corners. They cheat. They steal. And they get away with it. It's not right. It shouldn't be that way. It makes us mad. David says, "Don't, don't get mad." Fret not yourself, he says. And secondly, he says, don't be envious. Don't be envious of of wrongdoers, the latter part of of verse 1. Envy is the discontent we feel when the ungodly enjoy success. Uh, Unfortunately, most of our social endeavors, our efforts to try to set things right in society, are not driven so much by compassion as they are by by envy and jealousy. We see evil people enjoying the good things of life, and shucks, we want them too. doesn't seem right that we're, we're being shortchanged in life. So our tendency is to, is to be envious of those that make their way through life and, 
They do evil and yet uh, they reap uh, uh, the good life, rewards that, uh, that we think life ought to, ought to offer us. Don't envy the wicked, David says. Don't get angry when evil people get away with, uh, with their evil. Why? Well, David answers. Verse 2. They're going to wither like the grass and fade like the green herb. Again in verse 9, evildoers will be cut off. That uh, verb cut off occurs uh, repeatedly through this psalm. One of David's major themes of the psalm. Occurs in verse 9, occurs in verse 22. Those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be cut off. This is one of those contrastive uh, psalms. The opposite of being cut off is inheriting the land. We'll talk in a moment about uh, the meaning of that particular phrase. Occurs again in the last part of uh, verse 28-29. The seed of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land. Verse 34. He, He will exalt you to inherit the land. The wicked are cut off. Verse 38, the posterity, actually the after. He's talking about the afterlife, what comes after death. In that state, the wicked will be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is, is from the Lord. They're going to be cut down. And he uses a very colorful metaphor in uh, verse 35, 36. He says, I've seen a violent, wicked man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. And then, uh, as the side note of the NASB says, I pass by, which I think is probably the, uh, the better translation. I pass by, and lo, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. It's a colorful uh, uh, symbol. He is walking along. He sees this, uh, this uh, luxuriant tree flourishing, uh, putting out fruit. It's green. It's thriving. It's alive. Next day he walks by and it's gone. Somebody has cut it down. And David said, that's what's going to happen to the wicked. Everything's going to come out in the wash one of these days. They're going to be cut down. There will be a comeuppance. I have a whole collection of genie stories. and something about genie stories that tickle my funny bone. But There's one story about this arrogant self-aggrandizing, self-satisfied young man that always got everything he ever wanted. And uh, he just happened to find a bottle on the beach one day, rubbed it out, popped this genie, gave him three wishes, and that was more than his friends could could endure. And so uh, he wishes, uh, he uses two of his wishes. He wishes for a Ferrari and a million dollars. And then he saves the third wish. He's going to use that one later. And poof! There's this bright red Ferrari, and he opens up the the boot. Somebody told me this morning that Italian cars don't have boots, only British cars. But anyway, he opens up the trunk, and he looks inside, and there's a million dollars. And he's flying high. He gets in the Ferrari, cranks it up, starts down the freeway, and he forgets his third wish. And he, in his exuberance, begins to sing that old jingle, Oh, I wish I were an Oscar Mayer wiener. <laughs> now, that's absurd, but uh speaks to this whole issue of comeuppance. You know, God has his ways. And uh, 
And, and, and if people do not get what's coming to them in this life at death, they will face judgment. We look at the tyrants of, uh, of our age and, and we see them getting away with it. Oh, no. No, they're not getting away with it. No one gets away with anything. All in all, we live in a very fair world because there's death. They seem to be flourishing. Everything looks good about their lives. They're really living. Along comes a, a coronary and it's over. They're cut down. So God says, I have my way of taking care of those that seem to be getting away with with their evil. So don't get angry and don't don't be envious. Now, the, the other side of the equation is that we will inherit the land. As I mentioned, there, there's a vivid contrast throughout the psalm between those that are defenseless and therefore defended by God and those that are looking out for themselves, the arrogant. They'll be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. That's another theme that keeps turning up in this uh, psalm over and over again. Shows up in verse 9. Those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. Verse 11. The meek will inherit the land. That's the verse from which our Lord takes uh, the beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He expands it a bit to include the universe. Verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. Verse 22. Two, for those blessed by him will inherit the land. Verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Uh, literally, to eternity uses the one word in, in the Hebrew language that does signify uh, an everlasting existence. And then in verse 34, wait for the Lord, keep his way, and he will exalt you. To, to inherit the land. And then there is an overlapping theme with this idea of an inheritance, which is the eternality of that inheritance. Verse 18, their inheritance will be forever. Verse 27, depart from evil and do good, so shall you abide forever. Uh, verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. There is this idea of, a, of an after, forever. In fact, that's the word that's later used to describe what transpires. Uh, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. In verse 37, the man of peace will have an after, literally. But, but transgressors, verse 38, will be altogether destroyed. The after of the wicked, in the after of the wicked, they will be cut off. They'll be, they'll be estranged and outside will be brought in, included. Forever. That's the idea. So David says, why, why, why fret? Why stew? Why get worked up over the, the evil of people around us, those that trample on us, those that misuse us? God has his way of, of dealing with evildoers. In time, they will be cut down, but we will endure forever. I mentioned before my friend Bob Young, who was denied a, a doctorate because of his faith. And, and when the, uh, uh, the chairman of his department told him that this had occurred, you know, first thing he thought of was something like 
thirty or forty thousand dollars flying away because that's what he'd invested in the six or seven years he'd been in graduate school and and all of his time and and energy. And then he remembered the words of of the little chorus: "I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches and toll. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords." And he laughed. He laughed out loud in his. Uh, his supervisor thought he'd cracked, and he went running out of the room to get the secretary to uh, to get help for Bob. But no, he, he just saw reality. He had that eternal perspective that it was far more important to have God forever than to have the pleasures of this life uh, for a season. J.I. Packer mentions a conversation with a colleague. I've, I think I've mentioned this before, too. He's walking across the campus where this is his colleague served. He'd been denied tenure. And... Uh, Packer said, this must be a tremendous blow. man says, no, no, because I have God and they do not. It's the nearness of God that's our good, and we have him forever. And that gives balance and perspective. It's that long-range view that we have. Don't fret, don't stew, don't get upset when, when evil people flourish, because God will in time cut them down. But we have an eternal uh, inheritance. We'll live with him forever. The goodness uh, the nearness of God is our good. But the question is, what about the here and now? Uh, it's nice to know that our destiny is secure. But what about right now? How do we face uh, evildoers and those that are uh, trampling on us in, in various ways? David responds with uh, four imperatives, four commands. The first is in verse 3. These are positive. I mentioned the other two commands are are negative. First of all, he says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. I mentioned before how Hebrew poetry works. The second line intensifies, elaborates, amplifies on the first line. second line helps us to understand what David means by trust. Settle down. He's saying, dwell in the land, be content with your lot, and then trust evildoers into God's hands. We don't have to redress all the evil in the world. Whenever we see evil, we we do need to do what we can to try to set things right. And, And certainly when someone else is being oppressed, we need to do what we can to deliver them. That's our responsibility out of out of Christian compassion. But uh, for ourselves, we don't need to take ourselves out of the hands of the evil, uh, out of evil, evildoers. We can uh, do what we can to extricate ourselves. Um, we don't need to uh, permit ourselves unnecessarily to be misused and abused. We can speak up. It's not right to treat human beings that way. But when all is said and done, we ultimately have to trust God to work out the final result. And when that happens, I don't have to worry about myself anymore. See? I have to worry about the outcome. I can put uh, put that evil person in, in the Lord's hands. And that leaves me free to get on with the business of doing the right thing, knowing that God will look after the fellow who's doing the wrong thing. Okay? That's unnatural. My natural tendency is to set things right uh, myself to get the guy who did me wrong and make him pay for it. Okay? And I see this happening all the time in marriages. 
One spouse wrongs another, and sometimes the wrong is grievous. And so the wronged partner says, okay, I'm I'm going to get even. Don't get mad, just get even. So that person uh, withdraws conjugal rights or acts coldly or in other ways tries to get that person who is who's wronging them. And David says, no, no, no. No, just put that person in God's hands. Say, it's far better to say what you're doing is wrong and you're answerable to God. So I'll let God deal with you. But I'm answerable to God too. And, and I'll do what's right, no matter what it costs me. That, that's what David means when he says, trust in the Lord and do good. Reinforces it uh, later by saying almost uh, the same thing, uh, you know, and by contrast, don't fret, it only leads to evil doing. When we're angry, we're inclined to, to wrong people. But when we put people in God's hands, let them deal with with them in his own way and in his own time. That sets us free to do what God has called us to do. We, we can be more magnanimous to those that wrong us. We can be courteous. We can be loving, uh, gentle, patient with them. Because we know that, uh, that God is going to deal with this uh, with this issue. Uh, that's, um, that's what we call trust, uh, trusting and obeying. We sang the song earlier, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. If we don't do that, we can make ourselves miserable. There's nothing harder on our psyches than redressing uh, our own wrongs, trying to set things right. It leaves us with an empty feeling, bad taste in our mouth. It takes away our joy. It's far better to just put evildoers in God's hands and Go on about the business of doing what God has has called us uh, to do. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And the second thing that David says is delight yourself in the Lord. Uh, You can't really push anger out of your mind. At least I can't. You can only displace it. What he's saying is uh, instead of obsessing about the wrong that's been done to you, Preoccupy yourself with God himself. Taste and see that he's good. Uh, Colleen Evans, when she was stuck in San Francisco uh, last Friday, bought Carolyn and me a, a big box of Ghirardelli chocolates. Ah, I love those things. And they sit on the counter in our kitchen, and every time I walk through there, you know, I, I pick up one of those little wafers and pop it in my mouth, and, and I delight myself. In that uh, chocolate, wonderful stuff. It tastes so good. And David says that's what we must do with the Lord. Taste and see that he's good. Just begin to remind yourself of the goodness of God and begin to relish him. Think about his goodness. Ponder his mercy and, and his grace, his kindness toward us. Delight yourself in the Lord, he says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. There are certain desires that we have that are legitimate, which the pursuit of certain ends we think will will provide. But uh, joy and pleasure is simply a byproduct. When pursued directly, it eludes us. You You can never pursue joy directly. All we can do is pursue things that, that we believe will give us joy. 
And sometimes it's, it's the evildoer who takes away the thing that we believe will give us joy, frustrates us, thwarts us, keeps us from the enjoyment of, of certain things. And what David is saying is that if you delight yourself in the Lord, if you relish Him, if you hunger and thirst after Him and taste His goodness, you will get the joy that you sought, even though you don't get the thing that you thought would give you joy. So delight yourself in the Lord, he says, and let him give you the desires of his heart. And then he says, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he'll do it. It's a wonderful saying. Commit your way unto the Lord. That was uh, Dr. Livingston's favorite verse. That's the verse that he used when he went uh, back into the dark, portions of the African continent to spread the gospel. Trust in the Lord, or commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and and He will do it. The word for commit here is actually the word for to roll. Uh, You remember the place, the name place, Gilgal, which was where God rolled away the reproach of Israel. It's where the whole nation was circumcised and and the point was made, the, re- the reproach of Egypt has been rolled away, and the, the place was named Gilgal in commemoration of that event. Well, this is the verb. It's based on that same root. It means to roll something away. I think the picture is one of a heavy, onerous burden. You know, injustice is a heavy burden. It weighs us down. Taxes our strength. Uh, innervates us. Just uh, tires us out, wears us out. David says, roll all of that on the Lord. His shoulders are broad enough, strong enough. He can handle that. You can't. We can't bear up under injustice in this world. It will always wear us out and we'll end up doing something evil in response. Just take all of that, he says, and roll the weight of your anxiety on God. Cast all your care upon Him because He he cares about you. My... uh, brother-in-law tells a story uh, about one day he was walking across the field in the back of his house with his son, David. David was picking up uh, uh, rounded stream rocks. He was, he was about four at the time, and he was picking up these big round rocks like this. And uh, he referred to them as piggies because they looked like little pigs. And he had three or four of them in his arms, and he was staggering along trying to carry these. And he was getting tired, and he didn't want to. He didn't want to walk all the way back to the house. And uh, so my brother Ed said, "David, let me carry your piggies." And this light bulb went went on over David's head, and he said, "No, Dad." He said, "You carry me, and I'll carry the piggies." <laughs> and and that's what we do. That's what we do. Say, Lord, I, I'll I'll entrust my life to you, but I want to carry my piggies. David says, now roll those piggies on the Lord. Commit your way unto him, and and he will do it. And then finally, uh, verse 7, rest, he says. Rest in the Lord. It's a word for repose, being quiet, being tranquil. Compose your soul. Settle your heart and, and wait that, that's an added element, that of patient waiting. Actually, the word for, for uh, waiting here is, a, is an interesting word. It means to wait with longing. 
Uh, hope has that notion of expectancy, anxiously longing for something yet to come. <clears throat> no, no word of contingency in that word waiting. It's the idea of, of, of faithful waiting for God to, to work out his uh, purposes, David says. Just, just rest, rest yourself in the Lord, be still. Uh, wait for him. It's through faith and patience, the writer of Hebrews tells us, that we inherit the promise. Trust and time are always uh, factors. We want swift answers to our urgent needs. We want God to answer right right now, immediate redress of our wrongs. That's, that's the way we're wired. But God is always working on a grander scale than our immediate needs. He has purposes in mind that uh, you and I never Never envision what he's doing is shaping us and making us into the people that that he intends us to be throughout eternity. And a present unpleasantness and long-term injustice is one way he has to accomplish that end. Even our Lord, even though he was a son, learned obedience by the things uh, which he suffered. So David says, uh, trust the Lord. Put that person who is um, working his mischief on you in the Lord's hands. Let the Lord deal with him. And do what's right. Whatever God calls you to do, do it. And he will give you the grace to obey. Delight yourself in the Lord. Don't obsess over the wrong. If you're going to be obsessive and compulsive about anything. Give yourself to worship and to adoration of, of Christ. Roll your anxiety on the Lord. And wait for him to work. In time, uh, he will. He'll vindicate us. Verse 6 says, he'll bring forth your righteousness as the light. And your judgment as the noonday. Uh, your name may be beclouded right now. Your reputation ruined. But one of these days, we'll stand before our Lord. And he'll pick you out of a crowd. And he'll say, this is my beloved son. In whom I'm well pleased. That We may not be vindicated until we stand before him, but uh, he will set things right. Uh, All in all, we live in a very fair world. Now, I want to call your attention again to verse 11, because I think this is the centerpiece of of the psalm. As I mentioned before, this is the verse from which our Lord takes the beatitude in Matthew 5, 5, I think it is, the meek shall inherit the earth. Meekness is not weakness. It's not mildness. Meekness is being non-defensive. There are times that we're defenseless. As a matter of fact, in most situations, we are defenseless. What meekness is, is refusing to defend ourselves. We can explain ourselves, as I've mentioned before. But when all's said and done, we cannot ultimately protect ourselves. All we can do is put ourselves in God's hands, protect us. That's the meek woman, meek man, who is being guarded by God. He doesn't defend his himself or herself. And David says, "The meek shall inherit the land." Our Lord expands that uh, that statement to the earth, uh, not just the. Uh, the land of Canaan, as David was thinking, but uh, everything that God has in mind for us, this this idea of an inheritance is all that God has for us, all the the goodies, all the good things that are promised to us in in our relationship uh, to God, both in this life and in the next.
the meek, he says, those that are guarded by God will inherit the land. Carolyn pointed out a, an interesting uh, contrast in this chapter. Uh, I usually talk over my messages with her, and if she gets this puzzled look on her face, I know that I need to go back and work on it some more. And uh, she pointed out uh, a, a very significant parallel here in verse 24. Verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he shall not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. It's a wonderful picture of the Lord engaging his hand with ours and holding us upright, even though we uh, fall. Both our, As someone has said, both our steps and our stops are ordained and directed by the Lord. Even the failures, you know, he's well aware, and he still he lifts us up. And then, um, a bit later, in verse 32 and 33, David says, The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him, but the Lord will not leave him in his hand. It's a wonderful parallel. We're in the Lord's hands. Not, not evildoers' hands. Not the employer that's harassing you. Not not the spouse that's making life difficult for you. Not the neighbor that's uh, uh, that's making your life miserable. You know, our, our word manipulate comes from the Latin word for hands, manus. It means to get your hands on something. And that's the way we feel when we're in the grip of evildoers. We feel like we're under their control. We're in their hands. We're being manipulated, controlled by them. But what we need to realize is that when we stop defending ourselves and we let God defend us, then God engages in hand-to-hand combat with those that have their hands on us. And he's able. He says, David says, commit your way to him. Trust him. He'll do it. He'll do it. He will set things right. Now I want to leave you with a... Uh, with an illustration from the Old Testament. Would you turn to Genesis 13? This passage needs very little comment. It speaks for itself. It's a story about Abraham and Lot. Abraham, or Abram as he was known then, was enriched while he was in Egypt, came out with vast flocks, herds. And so did Lot, his nephew. And uh, their herds were so vast that the land wouldn't sustain both... uh, both uh, flocks and quarreling, we're told, arose between Abram's herdsmen and, her- and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were always li- were also living in the land at that time. The Perizzites were the Aborigines; they were the people that lived there before the, the Canaanites moved in. This is one of those throwaway lines. You wonder why it's here, but uh, the point is that Abraham was called to be a source of light. In the darkest place on the face of the earth, he was called out of Ur the Chaldees to the land of Canaan to build his altar, to pitch his tent, to be a, a visible representation of the invisible God to the people of Canaan. And it was very important to Abram that he straighten this mess out because the Canaanites and the Perizzites were, were looking on. This is not Parasites, by the way. Different group. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we're brothers. 
Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up, Lot looked up and saw the whole plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself. Lot chose for himself. Abraham owned the whole land. He was also the older man. He had the right to tell Lot to get lost, but he let Lot choose. Lot chose for himself. Abraham let God choose for him, and he got the whole thing. You know the end of the story. Lot lost everything. Abraham got everything. He inherited the land, and he inherited the land forever. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. Abram let God choose and he got everything. Inheritance represents everything that's that's ours in Christ. This picture of of Abraham walking the length and the breadth and the height and the, you know, all the dimensions of the land is reminiscent of what, what Paul says about our inheritance in Christ. He says, I want you to know the, the depth and the height and the breadth and the width and all the dimensions of the love of God. That's our inheritance. So what if evil people have everything in this world? So what if they take our goods away from us? The nearness of God is our good and we have him forever. We can enjoy him throughout eternity. They cannot take that away from us. One of my favorite authors is F.B. Meyer. And uh, I want to read uh, a paragraph out of his commentary on this passage in Genesis. God honors those that honor him. He withholds no good thing from them who walk uprightly. He meets him that rejoices and works righteousness... If only we'll go on doing what's right, giving up the best to others to avoid dispute, considering God's interests first and our own last, expending ourselves for the coming and glory of the kingdom of heaven, we shall find that God will charge himself with our interests. And he will do infinitely more for us than we could. Lot had to ask the men of Sodom if he might sojourn among them, and he had no hold on the land, but it was all given unasked to Abraham including the verdant circle on which Lot had set his heart. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Forgive us, Lord, for our fretful hearts, our tendency to stew and work ourselves into a fever pitch over, the <clears throat> over what evil people do to us. Thank you for this good reminder that uh, though they may take all of this earth's good from us, the good life as the world knows it, you are our good and they cannot take that away from us. Help us increasingly to find ourselves in you, to be satisfied with your goodness, to taste and see how good you are. Help us to be content and to roll the weight of our burden, the anxiety, uh, the turmoil of our hearts onto you.
and find that wonderful rest that comes from waiting on you to set things right. You're faithful, and you will do it. Now as we gather around this table, Lord, uh, just remind us again that the cross represents uh, the most sublime example of one who gave up everything in order to secure ultimate salvation. This is the way you brought salvation to the world, your meekness, your willingness to stand unprotected before the uh, onslaughts of men or what make it possible for us to enter into our eternal inheritance. We want to worship you, uh, express our love to you, give thanksgiving to you for that uh, that great uh, act of servanthood. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.